Hello, my name is Toby Chastain, and I am the Associate Pastor at Decatur First United Methodist Church, and I'm also the Chair of the Order of Deacons for the North Alabama Conference. I'm so glad to be with you today as we discuss God's Word, particularly Psalm 9, verses 9 through 20. This, of course, is one of the Psalms from the fourth Sunday after Pentecost. I hope you're, if you're sitting at home, I hope you have your favorite cup of coffee or tea and you're ready to, to dive into God's Word. If you're driving, be sure to keep two hands on the wheel, sit back and listen uh, as we dive into this passage. Before we begin, I would like to open with a word of prayer. Please pray with me. Dear God, we are so thankful for all that you are to us and all that you are in us. Lord, as we seek guidance from your word, as we consider what you have written to us, may it enrich our lives, may it help us to grow in faith, and may we learn more about you and who we are through the text today. We ask these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. So before we begin by reading our verse, I want to give you a little bit of background about this particular psalm, Psalm chapter 9. It's, it's actually very possible that chapters 9 and 10 were actually the same poem, though in your Bible they are listed as separate chapters. Our English Bibles list them individually, but the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, actually listed them as one psalm in total. In fact, it's quite possible that the poem works its way through the Hebrew alphabet by starting every other line with a successive letter. So we might say in English that it would start with A, B, C, every other line would start in that way and, and works its way through the, the Hebrew alphabet. Um, we also find further evidence that chapter 10 carries on a lot of the same themes and thoughts and ideas as chapter 9. However, the lectionary for today only lists chapter 9 and only those specific verses 9 through 20, and so that's where we're going to start our discussion for today. One other note is that the superscription at the beginning of Psalm 9 uses a word, muthlebin, which is found nowhere else in the Old Testament. The word loosely translates into the death of a son. And if you're reading from the NIV, you may have found that it's listed this way, along with suggestion that it was a, a tune uh, to which the psalm was to be sung, sung to the tune of the death of the son. Also, while it's listed as a psalm of David uh, in both NIV and uh, New Revised Standard Version, New International Version, and, and other versions, it's very possible that this psalm was written in the post-exilic period for use in corporate worship. Uh, additionally, the words Higayon and Selah were most likely musical notations common to that time period. And by the way, before we begin reading anymore, please forgive any mispronunciations I have of either the English language, as particularly that of ancient Hebrew. It's not my native language, uh, and so I am working through it. So now let's hear Psalm 9. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. Stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the peoples. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See what I suffer from those who hate me. You are the one who lifts me up from the gates of death. 
so that I may recount all of your praises and in the gates of daughter Zion rejoice in your deliverance. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made. In the net that they hid has their own foot been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. Higayon, Selah. The wicked shall depart from Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the poor perish forever. Rise up, O Lord. Do not let mortals prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations know that they are only human. Selah. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So some notes from the verses that we see. In verse 9, we have Miss Gav, um, which is translated stronghold in the New Revised Standard Version. If you're reading out of the New International Version, you'll see the first time it's mentioned, it's the same word, it's, it'll be refuge and then stronghold. In other translations, you may see the word haven. And while all are acceptable translations, it's important to note that the word also gives a connotation of a secure height or a, a high place. So rightly read, we could also infer that Yahweh will lift up those who are oppressed or who are in trouble. This theme of being lifted up is supported in verse 13 when the psalmist writes, You who lift me up from the gates of death. There's also an interesting use of images going on later in verse 15, where the psalmist says, The nations have sunk down into the pit which they have made. It is as the writer is trying to give the image that God's people are being lifted up while their enemies are, are sinking low or being brought down. In several places, the word yada or to know is used. For example, those who know your name put their trust in you. That's verse 10. Verse 16, the Lord has made himself known. Verse 20, let the nations know that they are only human. This indicates, this word yada indicates a more intimate knowledge, more than just a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge or perception or discernment. The idea that we can know, as in perceive or discern, God's character by God's actions within the world and toward God's people. In verse 19 and verse 20, we see the word enosh, which literally translates to man. But of course, it was a word for human or humankind. We see that in the NRSV. We also see mortals. There are several words used in Hebrew for man or human. However, this one is often used when the frailty or the weakness or mortality of humankind is being highlighted. This is why in verse 20, you may see the phrase only human or merely human, and why in verse 19, mortal is used. It's a more accurate translation of the meaning of the word. Therefore, the writer is relating the weakness of humankind to the strength of Yahweh. The Psalms are a reminder of who God is and our relationship to our Creator. This particular psalm, sung during worship, particularly if it was a song sung by people in exile, would have given the people hope that God had not abandoned them and had remembered their cause. And while many of the phrases and markers like Sheol or 
the gates of daughter Zion are not familiar to modern eyes, the modern reader of the psalm can still find hope in God's goodness toward God's people and can see that God cares for and seeks to redeem those who have fallen on hard times. The ancient Israelites would have seen their enemies as those around them, the the nations and countries around them, who would seek to do them harm. And those living in exile would have seen their captors and enslavers as those who oppressed them. And we can certainly see how in our modern time, we may have those who wish us harm. And we can definitely find evidence of injustice and oppression that exists all around us. It's easy to draw parallels between the suffering described in these verses brought upon the people by those around them and the troubles that we face today. However, I wonder if we might also consider how the difficulties that we face come not only from outside of us, but also from within us, from within our own sinful natures. Perhaps the psalmist was also subtly hinting in those last two verses that it is our own human condition that threatens to overtake us and from which we need salvation. The psalm gives good comparison to how God has the power to lift people up and to provide rescue and refuge for those in need, while also showing our own human inability to lift ourselves up and, in fact, the weakness and inadequacy of our own existence. How have we as God's people tried so hard to be self-sufficient, only to realize our total need for God. Perhaps for the people in exile, this may have been a reminder that salvation would not come by their own efforts, but by God's hand and in God's way of ordering the world. What does this say for us today? Well, I believe that it gives us both hope and a charge. Our hope is that God will never forget nor leave us where we are and is willing to help us in times of need. However, our charge is to not forget that we are mortal. By ourselves, we are not able to do all that God has called us to do. Yet through his strength and power, we can overcome the forces in our lives that threaten us and threaten our existence. I want to thank you for taking the time to walk through this psalm with me. I trust it has given you hope in Yahweh. And has challenged you as you seek to be a more faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord, as we have studied your word, as we have looked at your psalms that were given to us to help us better understand you and each other, we ask that you would help us to leave lives that are faithful to you. We'd ask for us to be able to follow you with all that we are and that we would trust you even in the difficult times, knowing that you will never leave nor forsake us. In your holy name we pray. Amen.